People, I think, are a little bit like not sure what to do with the topic of financial abuse because it happens so much, but yet the devastation is such a marathon to repair that it's almost like too overwhelming to even look at it. You are listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with author Shannon Thomas. Her new book, Exposing Financial Abuse, confirms that money can and is used as a weapon. Hey there, this is Patrice from PatriceWashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to the Redefining Wealth podcast, where we believe that wealth is more than money and material possessions. You have to know that wealth is also about your well-being, and we seek to explore what that means and what that looks like in every area of our lives, and today will be no different. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview. After reading Shannon Thomas's book and even just completing the interview, I am sure that many of you are going to recognize that you have been through more financial trauma than you probably even understand. I know that this is going to be a hard episode to listen to. And I know if you get the book, it's going to be hard to really see yourself in some of these scenarios. But it was very important to me that in honor of Bullying Awareness Month, I've also heard it as Bullying Prevention Month, either one, it was very important to me that we have some of these difficult conversations I have been very transparent with you all about my own journey being harassed online and some of the different bullying that I've experienced at different points in my life. And I see the connection to wealth. I see how if we don't deal with this trauma, especially the childhood trauma, but if we don't deal with some of this trauma, then we just grow up to be adults who don't deal with trauma, who don't work through these things. And so it inevitably will impact our finances or it'll impact how we show up at work, which will impact our finances, or how we relate to other people, which will impact our finances. And so this month and this series is dedicated to unpacking what this looks like. And obviously being a personal finance person, I wanted to start with Shannon Thomas and this subject of financial abuse, because I'm telling you, I was aware of some of this stuff, you guys, but the more I read her book, I started to go, oh my gosh, I've been through that. I've experienced this. I've seen this in my family, in my marriage, in different levels of my life. I have seen different seasons of this. And I'm grateful for the work that I do because I've been able to navigate out of much of it, you know, thankfully. But I see how, if this goes unchecked, how it could really destroy a person, destroy a family, destroy you know, your destiny. And so it was really important to me that we have this conversation. To my purpose chasers, I am so continuously grateful for your feedback. So make sure after you listen to this episode that you go into our Patreon group and just share your aha moments, your takeaways. You know, that is a safe space for us to share freely. And if you follow me in social media, you can also hit me up there and just give me your thoughts and make sure you subscribe please subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And I don't want you to miss an episode because it goes down here every single week. Every Thursday, a new episode is released. And this series in particular, I believe is going to break a lot of chains in your life. If you are willing to listen and then apply the action steps or the principles that come out of it. So without further ado, Shannon Thomas Licensed clinical social worker is the best-selling author of Healing from Hidden Abuse, A Journey Through the Stages of Recovery from Psychological Abuse, and Exposing Financial Abuse When Money is a Weapon. She's also the owner and lead therapist of an award-winning counseling practice in South Lake, Texas. After dropping out of high school, yet persevering to eventually earn her master's degree at age 34, to losing her father to a violent crime and her mother to addiction and mental illness— Thomas understands the need to overcome. As a leading therapist and survivor herself, Thomas is one of the few in the field to bridge the gap between pop culture and clinical advice. Her advice has been featured in top media outlets, including Business Insider, Teen Vogue, Elite Daily, Bustle, and more. 
Through her work, Thomas shares ongoing perspectives through the lens of a therapist and fellow survivor of psychological abuse on her blog at shannonthomas.com. Without further ado, guys, get ready to learn how money can be used as a weapon. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Shannon. Hello. I'm very glad to get a chance to chat with you. I don't think you're more glad than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I've been really looking forward to it. So that's great. Thank you so much for being willing to talk about this topic. It is not one that's discussed very much. Not as much as it needs to be at all. And just in honor of Bullying Awareness Month, I thought it would be so great for us to have this conversation because I really don't think we realize the trauma many of us have probably been through at the hands of economic abusers because many of us may normalize it or just are not even aware. So I was fascinated by the book and how well you told so many devastating yet fascinating stories. But first of all, I was really fascinated by your own story. I'm going to jump in to exposing financial abuse, but just to hear more about your story, I was reading about you just on your website and I was like, okay, this woman is amazing. The way you've been able to turn your own life around, I think at the hands of just so many different circumstances. So can you just fill us in a little bit on what you've had to overcome? in your own life in order to be who you are today? Yeah, absolutely. It's been an adventure. And I say that with some sarcasm. You know, a lot of us in life have felt like life has run us over and decided to kick it into reverse and back up again. And and a lot of us can experience different things that you're just like, wow, when you look back, that was kind of a lot to go through. And for me, it, it really did start with some childhood traumas. I lost my father to a violent crime in our home. My mom had really suffered from drug addiction and mental health issues. And that for any of us that have suffered from childhood issues, it sets us on a certain path that we have to recover from. And so it's been a real journey to clean up what started out as a real mess, just to be honest. My story includes losing over 125 pounds because at one point the trauma was dealt with by eating and by finding comfort in that. And it includes dropping out of high school and going on and getting my master's degree. I joke that I do not have a high school diploma and I do not have a GED, but I have a master's. And so, (laughs) and that is on purpose. People have said, oh, you should go get your GED now. And I really believe in what life was at that point just needs to kind of stay there and continue on from there. So it's been an adventure, as I've said, but we find our way and we continue going on. Wow. I'm sure if we really went into more of that story, it's amazing that today you're a certified trauma therapist. Yes, correct. One of the first pillars at Redefining Wealth is about being fit. And oftentimes people assume that I just mean physically fit, but I always talk about being mentally fit as well. And I've found in my work, Shannon, that so many people want to chase money and they think that that will be the end all be all, or they're looking to build wealth or find some measure of success, whatever they think that is. I said, what if your success is on the other side of dealing with some of that childhood trauma that you've been through? I know personally, until I got deep into therapy, I was good, but I don't think I was going to be great until I dealt with many of the things that I went through in my own childhood. A hundred percent agree. And I think if we go ahead and try to build wealth, which is a great goal to have to find restoration or to find newness in our finances. But if we do that work without going back and having any sort of restoration, we're really putting a Band-Aid and maybe a pretty sparkly Band-Aid if the wealth is actually accumulated in a positive way and in a healthy way, but it's still just a Band-Aid. Things of this world are really only going to bring us so much joy. And if we don't go back and find that inner healing and then that peace that we do have to walk through sometimes to overcome our childhood or our teen years or our young adult years or whatever would be our moment in time that was difficult, they are just kind of sparkly band-aids. There's no depth to the success. Right. And I think a lot of times you find yourself right back in some other unhealthy pattern. 
we repeat again and again until we can loop out of it. Because there's actually, from the psychology behind it, there's reasons why we continue to return to similar environments because we are trying to work out a new way of doing it. And there's a way to do that that feels very destructive and we're stuck in a cycle. And then there's another way to do it where there's newness that's coming and we're finding new patterns and we're breaking out of those old that aren't helpful for a positive life. Okay. So I read your latest book, Exposing Financial Abuse. Oh my gosh. I took it all the way to France, (laughs) brought it back, read it. I was on a flight from Philly after speaking back to Los Angeles. And I think for about 40 pages, I had my mouth open. Like I was blown away. And I knew some forms of financial abuse. I mean, as someone who's been known as a financial expert, of course I've heard mm-hmm. of different stories and I've even coached or counseled people, but you made me aware of so many other forms. And you say that financial abuse and exploitation is quietly happening all around us, hidden within our neighborhoods and communities. Can you explain what financial abuse actually is? Sure. And we chuckle about the mouth being open and the shock. And these stories are raw and these are very real stories. And just I sat going through the data myself. And like you said before, I'm a trauma therapist. I've heard everything. I am completely unshockable. I thought <laughs> reading through some of this material, just like, my goodness, this these are people's lives because the material were survivor stories. And so financial abuse, one of the things that I think people have been shocked by is how wide of a spectrum there is to financial abuse. But basically, in a nutshell, it is the hidden exploitation and control of finances. Now, that could be passive-aggressive control, somebody who will stay underemployed or unemployed chronically and put the pressure on the other people in the family to meet their needs. Or on the other end of the spectrum, it can be control through active shutting down accounts, taking all access away from a victim, and then everything in between those two pillars, those two polar opposites is financial abuse. It is where finances have become a weapon. And again, that can be a passive and a covert way, or it can be a very overt, controlling, dominating way. And then every marker in between that. And I think that's where we're breaking some stereotypes and why I'm so grateful that you're talking about this subject is because most folks think about financial abuse as someone who controls all the money. That Mm -hmm. is only one. There are many, many, many other ways that this happens. And those other ways tend to be more hidden and harder to recognize because they come with a lot of excuses for the behavior. But it is about, like I said, when money has become a form of a weapon in someone's life. Shannon, what makes financial abuse fly under the radar though? Is it the shame and embarrassment of it all? Or is it that people don't even realize that they're actually in this type of circumstance? Yes, to both. I think that it is both of those things, and you said them perfectly, is that we don't talk about money, and that's why I think the work you're doing is phenomenal, because we want to be able to have open and lively discussions about growth and about wealth and about defining it and what does it mean in our life and what does it not mean? What can it not do for us? We either seem to have no conversations about money or unhealthy conversations about money. And so I think that part of it is to a lot of the financial abuse is so tucked away and hidden Mm -hmm. that people don't want to talk about the fact that they are the primary breadwinner in a household where they shouldn't be. There's a huge difference between people coming together and partnering, and that's a mutually agreed upon arrangement, or somebody siphoning money off of somebody else and doing it in a very manipulative, abusive way, and not just aggressive, abusive, but abusive in shame or control or guilt. Mm-hmm. But then also the piece about it, there's so many folks that don't even realize that what they're experiencing is abuse. And I think that that's why the way I wrote the book, Exposing Financial Abuse, are survivor stories, because nobody could tell their stories better than them. So even the way we formatted the book, how we've really highlighted the survivor stories, I wanted to shed a bright spotlight on how this happens in their own words. We did not edit their words at all. We really wanted it to be in their own voice. And that's the part I love the most. As someone who reads all the time, I would love to just hear your thoughts as an expert, right? But to hear, I'm sorry, read the actual stories, I could tell that it was in their words. And I felt everyone. 
I was like referring to them by name when I was sharing with my husband. I'm like, Anna said, that's how it makes you feel. And I think that's why it hit me so hard because it wasn't just an expert saying 96% of respondents feel this. It was in these people's words and you could feel the pain, the frustration, even though they're survivors and they're sharing from hindsight, you could still feel the frustration of it all. And I kept picturing myself in those shoes thinking, what would I do? And honestly, Shannon, in some of the stories, I realized that I either had experienced or witnessed different levels of some of those examples. I can't say that I knew that it was trauma or that it was abuse when I was in it. But looking back on it now, absolutely. I agree completely. And as I sat back and really, we did a lot of research trying to figure out, my team and I, that how much information was already out there in the public around this topic. And we could not find any published books that were specifically on relational financial abuse. There are books on elder abuse. There are books on some very small segments of the population or a very, not just small in numbers, but in a very specific abuse that happens, but nothing that was broad around families, marriage, partners, even in places of worship, just a very large picture. And so when we were looking, there was nothing there. And so, and it came out to be because I was wanting to refer clients that have, because I am still in full-time practice as a therapist, refer clients to material about financial abuse and exploitation and everything on that spectrum. And I couldn't find much. And so that's why when I was sitting back and thinking, okay, I am not a financial expert. I am not a financial planner. This is not my area of expertise. Mine is recovery from abuse and the hidden abuse. That's my particular genre. And I thought, how would I tell these stories? And it was very much, I just need to give a platform for them to tell their stories. And then from a mental health perspective, take each story and give a little bit of information as to what would be the driving psychological undercurrent as to why someone would behave the way these abusers have, mm-hmm. and then move on to the next story. And so that's really what I wanted to do because I wanted exactly the reaction that you had. I wanted to expose this hidden world and I wanted people to gasp and to be, I can't believe this happens. And yet now I realize that this has happened to me. This has happened mm-hmm. to my friend. This is happening all the time because we have statistics that show that a high rate, I'm thinking like 95% of abusive relationships have some form of financial abuse within them. I'm sure. And you probably can't say this. I can say this to my listeners. I guarantee you that if you read this book, you are going to find one story that you identify with. You are going to be able to put yourself in the person's shoes of the story and go, oh my gosh, that happened to me. Maybe it's not your current situation, but for me, I mean, I looked back on things from college to recent years, just a couple years ago, where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what that was. And even when you kind of unpack it a bit and talk about the mindset behind someone who behaves that way, I could totally see it in those people. I was like, yes, that makes sense. Shannon, what's at the heart of economic exploitation? It's always about them. Is that the thing or... That's a great question. And I think if we're looking at roots, it's about lack of empathy. Not that folks that financially exploit are all narcissistic personality disordered or that they're all antisocial or anything like that, because people can become financially exploitive and abusive because of laziness, because of control issues, because of gambling issues. There's a wide range, but when we root it all down, it is a real lack of empathy for how their behavior is impacting the people around them. That seems to be, along with a sense of entitlement, you put the lack of empathy and the sense of entitlement together, and you've got people who are leeching or controlling finances. Good old selfish. Yeah. And some of the stories made me kind of chuckle that I think the one that talks about where she had a lot of the responsibility. And again, I want to say real quick here that it is both genders. My research was heavily female replies, but I know, and there are male stories in the book, it is gender neutral. This happens both types of relationships and all kinds of different relationships, but it's not just specific to one gender. My book is not that either. But one story was a lady who said that she was taking care of her child children. And his favorite line was, you got that, right? You got this, which is about the bills, right? Because he didn't have to worry about the bills because she got it. And it was just that sense of (laughs) 
wow, no, she doesn't have it. She needs a partner. Right. So that one line, you got this, could be seen as kind of a red flag, I think. What are some other red flags that abusers use to kind of manipulate their victims? One of my favorite, and I say that in quotations because all the stories are really, they have a level of sadness, but also a level of hope in them. Mm -hmm. But one of the stories is my favorite was Luby's story out of Scotland. And Luby told us the story of her partner who would go to grand efforts to look like he was working. Yes, I read that. <laughs> Remember Luby? Yes. And the wind. And the rain was blowing and the rain was this. And it, it, this man went into, and it could be a female, but the, her story happens to be a man, went into great lengths to try to look like he was working and contributing equally. And all he was doing was complaining and spending a lot more time complaining than actually trying to be a financial partner. I thought it was crazy. So he would go to work like on the street, right? And then come back and say, well, it rained or it was too cold or it was too windy. He would go, which I thought was interesting. So he would go and essentially pretend to make the effort, but never really had any intentions of working and contributing. Absolutely. And what they had is they had a tourist business and he would call her and say, there's nobody here, but she would hear the crowd cheering in the background for one of the other street performers. And I think that one of the forms of financial abuse that's very hard is that passive aggressive, covert, I'm looking like I'm doing something, but I have no fruit to show that I'm actually doing anything. And that next big break is just right around the corner. And you got this right now while I'm just getting on my feet and on and on and on, because that becomes a lifestyle. And I think that that form has been the thing that most people have reported back to me as they were shocked that that would be under the category of financially abusive. Again, we have this Hollywood version that financial abusers are the ones who control all the money. That is true. That is absolutely true in the book definitely talks about that. And it talks about the high socioeconomic abuse that happens where things look good on the outside and look very wealthy and very good on the outside. And people in the home are absolutely living in a poverty level because the money's not flowing to them by the person who holds the purse strings. But that passive aggressive abuser, the one who looks like they're trying and wanting to contribute or leeching off the person, we have a harder time defining that as financial abuse as a culture. I don't. I know it is abusive. Right. But so that was one of the types that I've said I've not experienced, but I've witnessed. And the person who I know who was being abused essentially was always made to feel really guilty if she even brought up the idea that he may not be trying hard enough. And one of the techniques that you talked about abusers using is that rapid fire of confusion because we would talk about it, right? And she's like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to confront him. And then we would talk a few days later. And I was like, why are you taking now full responsibility for why he's not (laughs) contributing? And when I read that in the book, I was like, oh my gosh, it's that rapid fire of confusion and brainwashing almost that makes the victim feel like they're the abuser. Yes. And that right there, that rapid fire of confusion falls squarely on the psychological abuse spectrum. And that's my area of specialty and emotional abuse recovery. We've got terms for that of gaslighting and word salad. And you're absolutely right. It is a brainwashing technique where someone will walk in very crystal clear on what they need to discuss in that relationship and what their boundaries are going to be. And they come back out blaming themselves. (laughs) Well, how did that happen? And what happened? And right there, we know that we're probably dealing with a high level manipulation of that other person because our friend, ourself, our loved one, walked in ready to have an honest and open conversation about what needed to happen. And they got caught in the tornado of that other person's manipulation. And then they normalize it as, well, they're kind of dramatic. That was more than dramatic. You literally feel guilty for him not participating or going to work. And putting the responsibility on that other person. And again, it's not an agreement. It's not that two people are partnering that you take this part and I take this part based on gender or anything like that, but just based on a mutually agreed upon life. It is one person who is deciding how things are going to happen by either that passive aggressive way they're doing it or the aggressive way they're doing it. And when we walk into a conversation and we're sure and we have our footing underneath us and we come back out, spit out confused, we got to stop and think, why was I just manipulated? And how did that person just manipulate me? And what's going on here? Because we have to then know we're kind of in a vortex. 
Right. Because their economic abusers, I read in the book, are great about lying about their future plans. And I think you say they have acting skills that could win awards. Yes. And we see that a lot with the psychological abusers. Not all financial abuse comes from a psychological abuser. Like I said, there can be gambling issues. There can be drug issues. There can be other drug addiction. There can be other things that contribute to somebody struggling and also then abusing people around them financially. But when we're talking about the manipulations and the control and the game playing, then we are right smack in the middle of psychological abuse. Let's go through some of the types of abuse. There are so many. I know in the book, you start with lies. Mm -hmm. And I love this. And I think it's important for someone who's now their ears are kind of perked up and they're like, wait a minute, is this... Am I, am I in this type of situation? I love that you said there are no absolute truths in the world of an economic abuser, no universal moral compass that guides their actions. Truth is what they create in their mind and then they act accordingly. I was like, wow, there's no absolute truths in the world of an economic abuser. Let's talk about lies. And if you could give us an example of a story that just sticks out in your mind, I know it comes in so many different forms, but just one of those lies that are just so outrageous, you know, but common. Yes. I think for me, the one that jumps out first and foremost is a long marriage that the lies that you're spending too much and you're putting us into poverty by all your spending. And actually there was quite a bit of resources behind the scenes that this spouse did not have access to, didn't know about. And so the other spouse, the controlling spouse was able to create this whole illusion that this family did not have the financial resources that they actually had. And then the victim or the survivor or the target is worried and stressed and anxious about their spending habits when it is all a facade. Standing on a stage that's been created by the abuser, they're living in a cutout household that's based on what the abuser wants them to think, which is that they're right there on the brink of poverty. When one of the stories that they had over $200,000 in the bank yeah. and $750,000 in retirement accounts and had monthly rental incomes. And I mean, just a couple She knew nothing about 30 years of marriage, right? I think. Yes. Yeah. CC story knew yeah. nothing about it. And we can stop as younger women and think, how could someone not know? Well, there's a lot of relationships that this person handles this part of the marriage and this person handles this part of the family of the household or whatever. And over time, it's very easy for abusers to cut that victim off from access. And then they're just trying to keep going day to day and keep the family going and keep things going. And so we get down the road and they have no clue what their financial portfolio looks like. So that's one of the main red flags is, do people have full access to everything? And full access to everything, not quasi access to two accounts when there's 10 others. Right. I'll have to be honest with you, Shannon. I've fought with women clients in the past about knowing more about what was going on. And I've heard over and over again, well, my husband handles that or my partner handles that. And I'm like, but yeah, you should still be privy to the numbers, especially from women who tend to stay home. Yes. And, and raise the children and stuff. They don't always feel like they deserve the access to those things like they need to just trust and it sucks but relationships fail for one reason or another things may not go as you planned and in Cece's case 30 years of marriage to not know in the end what she actually was entitled to and had access to the whole time. Absolutely agree with you. And I think if we look at another story of Lori, having access to the resources is not just about, and it, it's very true what you just said, and I agree that we have to know in case the fact that things unravel or our partner gets sick or something mm -hmm. happens and we have to step up and figure out, okay, I need to know where things are. It is very, very dangerous to be without an understanding of what our financial household looks like, even if our partner is better at doing the math. That's okay. Right. That's great. But we still need to know where we land because life has a way of changing. But Lori's story, one of the reasons that we really want people to know is because her partner, her husband, was using money in the sex trafficking industry. Her partner and husband was spending thousands of dollars on illegal things, wanting her to cut back on her spending, but he's traveling overseas paying for all kinds of who knows what in the sex industry in another country. 
So it's about accountability to finances as well in a partnership that when money gives us access to things that sometimes people don't need access to, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And And they would hopefully be on better behavior if there was full disclosure. There's just something that you could stop them from doing whatever those things are, but maybe not to the extent. Agreed. Or maybe if we're recognizing, well, my partner is using a lot of money on gambling. A lot of cash is being taken out. We're partnered together to make each other better and to iron sharpen iron. And we need to know where money's going so that if there is something happening within our household or our spouse, we need to be able to say, hey, I'm concerned about this and get them help. When we do things in the shadows, especially around money, there's a lot that gets missed. And it's just like why we hold our kids accountable, you know, when they're working and they're making money and they're driving and what are you spending your money on? Where are things going? And just helping them find a good path. That's also within our marriages of just, are we healthy? Right. Speaking of kids, let's go to threats as another type of abuse, because I think this is the one where people tend to threaten with children or even pets. They use that as a form of manipulation or use those relationships or ability, I think, to see the children or those types of things. Can you talk about threats? Oh, absolutely. And one of the things in threats that we see um, is a lot of family court fraud. This was an area that folks, after they've read the book, are they're very grateful that we discussed family law and family court because what's happening within that system, either they're glad we talked about it or they were surprised that this happens, is that using the family court system and money and access to money and cutting people off from being able to take care of themselves through a divorce and being able to hire attorneys, they are then threatening the survivor's access to their children, to custody, to all kinds of things. And so That's where being able to talk about the threats of financial abuse, a lot of folks do not want to leave these abusive relationships because they have heard these threats of, I will take all the money out of the account and you won't have enough money to hire an attorney and I will take the children. There's other types of very direct threats. We had one story where she was going through a cancer treatment and her spouse was giving her only a certain amount of money to manage everything in the household. And one of those things included taking care of her beloved horse, which as she was going through the cancer treatment was really something important to her emotional, physical, soul, wellness. And he would constantly be threatening to sell the horse, get rid of the horse, and use that as a carrot to get her to behave the way he wanted her to behave. You also talk about in threats, toxic in-laws and how they can kind of gang up on the victim together. Absolutely. When we come back to the family court, if a toxic in-law is willing to fund their also toxic adult child, because sometimes the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, then our victim spouse is very, very concerned about how much money is going to be spent by these toxic in-laws to fight to take their children away. If there are resources there within the family, are they willing to then throw that behind this toxic spouse so that the toxic spouse wins the kids, so to speak? Mm -hmm. Uh, It can be very, very scary. And I know the threats play a huge role in why some survivors will try to just put their head down and make it work because Mm -hmm. they're very, very concerned about will those threats come to completion? It's so sad. I know it's so prevalent. Another one that really struck me was just basic needs in general, how people withheld very basic things. And there's a story from Pam that I just want to read a piece of. This was a stay-at-home mom. And she says, I was a stay-at-home mom with triplet daughters without a car for 11 years. One of my daughters was born with a congenital heart defect. So not having a vehicle to take her to the doctor if anything came up was very scary. But he could always justify why we couldn't get another vehicle. Usually he'd say we don't have the money because he's the only one working. He was so good at making it my fault and making me feel guilty for the things we couldn't afford. That blew my mind. Yeah, and the rest of that story is, however, he always had the money for his paintball, frisbee golf, and every other expensive hobby of his. So there you go, in a nutshell, right there. It's not about 
whether or not this family had the resources having three kids and she was a stay-at-home mom and he was doing the best he could and this family just did not have the resources for another car. That happens. Absolutely. People are making a partnership together and they're all doing what they can do to raise children in the best environment. That is not the situation. What this situation is, this abuser chose to spend money on himself rather than putting value in providing a vehicle for a medically fragile child. So we talked about earlier about the lack of empathy and the sense of entitlement. It does even go over their own children. Wow. Mind-boggling. When I read a story about the abuser complaining that the survivor used too much toilet paper, I just kind of put the material down and I went, I have now heard it all. (laughs) This is the moment I have heard everything. But that's what they'll do. They will pick and pick and pick and pick. Shannon, what type of therapy did you have to go through just to get through all of these stories? You read 2,000 stories? I did. We had over 455 individual folks. And of those folks, they were so gracious in sharing almost 2,000 stories of individual um, lies and threats and basic need issues. And, And also getting farther back in the book, you know, what did they do to protect themselves? What was a turning point? What did they do to rebuild? And so it took me about a good six months to get through all that data because it was very shocking. And I told someone it's kind of bone chilling, but that's what I wanted to highlight because I knew these stories were true. And I knew from my practice that this happens all the time that I was really looking for those stories that were going to illustrate what I wanted people to know about this form of abuse. And we wanted to leave nothing in the corners that whatever was said, whatever was the truth, people need to know that this happens. And this happens in a vast majority of abusive relationships. Well, in families as well. I know when we get into crimes, I hear from so many people all the time who have terrible credit and terrible finances because of parents, siblings, ex-boyfriends or girlfriends who took their social security numbers and ran up tons of debt, put homes in their name, got credit cards in their name, oh, money on car, anything under the sun goes. And that's one of those things where I can say, you know, growing up in my neighborhood where people made it a joke, like, Mm -hmm. oh, the utilities are in the baby's name. Yes. And it was a big ha ha ha. But then this kid grows up and now they're an adult and they want to do things and they find out they've had accounts opened in their name for 15 years and they're 20. Agreed. Can you talk about crimes? Yeah. Yeah. Especially when we have names that are real similar and we've got juniors or we've got, you know, other types of family names where both male and female, sometimes we've got similar names to parents, credit card applications, lines of credit, utilities, vehicles. You can have like a 17 year old that's got a car repossessed in their name. And it's like, how is that even possible? It's because it was fraud. Mm-hmm. And fraud and lines of credit and other types of situations does impact our larger economic picture. And so, yes, we have some, you know, individuals that are, you know, doing fraud against strangers, but we have fraud happening within families and taking out student loans. I, I didn't include this in the book, but I know this to be true because I've known stories of this where I've had clients and other folks that I've known in my own life that there would be student loans taken out for college and a parent would take that money and use it. Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden now the student's like, well, where's the money? Because the parent was going to manage it for them, right? Right. And that money ended up getting used on what the parent wanted. And that's the thing. It's like, even when the abuse ends, the financial damage keeps going. Yes, that is one of the most devastating things. And I do think leads to some of the apathy that I feel about this topic sometimes Mm -hmm. that I don't feel, but I feel like is happening within our culture. I think that there's a little bit of an apathy right now where I do believe that's radically going to change because of shows like this and because of the book and because of other narratives that are happening around this topic now. But people, I think, are a little bit like not sure what to do with the topic of financial abuse because it happens so much, but yet the devastation is such a marathon to repair that it's almost like too overwhelming to even look at it, but it shouldn't be. And we're going to have to change that because there's very distinct ways that people can start to get some success and feel like they're getting their hands wrapped around it. But people do have to recognize that it's going to be a marathon and not a sprint. Mm -hmm. Really celebrate 
every time they pay the bills on time, every time their credit score goes up a little bit, every time another thing that was done to them fraudulently gets cleaned up. Those are huge victories that we really have to train people to look at as recovery and as health and not that the whole thing is cleaned up because that takes a long time sometimes. And even the damage lasts longer than the relationship even did often. Mm -hmm. What do you feel is a turning point for many of the survivors? How did they finally get to the point where enough was enough? Yeah, I think that a lot of times the survivors that we heard from talked about that they got to the point where they realized nothing was going to change in the relationship. Even Vanessa said the final stage for her was realizing the hopelessness of the situation that he would never change and she would have to leave and protect herself and be a model of right behavior for her children. Mm-hmm. And I think that for a couple other folks, it's that when they realize that the games were being played, when we're working with someone as our partner and our spouse, we're not expecting them to be a puppeteer, playing a puppet, trying to pull our strings and lead us where they want us. We don't expect that because that's not how we're relating to them. A turning point for a lot of financial abuse victims was when they caught the glimmer of a smirk or ugly smile when they could tell that the other person was gaining some sort of entertainment out of the chaos they were creating financially. There's just several ways that folks just had a light bulb moment where it was like, oh, wait, this is actually done on purpose. This Mm -hmm. person was a victim to every single person they've ever worked with and every boss they've ever worked with, you know? Like some folks will be like, oh, I got fired again because I can't get along or they're just being mean to me. The survivor realizes this is this person's pattern. And I think watching for patterns is really where the turning point happens for a lot of survivors. And they realize this is on purpose. Mm -hmm. These people are not just victim to their circumstances. In that section of the book, I think the one that stood out to me quite a bit, and again, all the stories are always so fascinating, was CJ's story, who learned that she was in a financially abusive relationship by taking the survey. And what she said her husband would say, I was like, oh, I know I've heard this so many times in my work as well. And it was trust God. Let's pray about it and trust God. But he wouldn't stop his behavior. And for my show in particular, because I know that there's so many believers who listen to this show, that is a big red flag. When someone is like, let's pray about it. And I've seen this go down too, where they will initiate the prayer, but the prayer is about the other person changing. Yes, (laughs) It's about the victim trusting God more or trusting them more or them being better. It has nothing to do with shifting their own behavior. 100% agree. And I think that we now move in from what is a financially abusive and exploitive relationship to what is spiritually abusive. CJ's story does talk about that for her, it was really that point where she realized that rather than this toxic person changing the behavior, it was her lack of faith. And I say that in quotations, then that really wasn't the issue at all. It was that this person was not willing to address what was going on in their life that caused them to be financially unstable. But instead it became about her lack of faith. Mm -hmm. How manipulative can you be? I want to use the term my grandma would say, what balls, but (laughs) you can say it. Yeah, (laughs) another way to say it, but I could just hear my granny's voice in my head going, what balls do you have? Sometimes grannies say it the best, you know, (laughs) just really to the point. And like I say in the book, instead of changing his harmful ways, her spouse guilted her for not having more faith. And then I say that I bet that her view would have changed if his behavior had changed. And it's not really rocket science. People act sleazy and yet they expect to be trusted without any evidence of their trustworthiness. And then we can throw God in the mix of that. And it just becomes, because I own South Lake Christian Counseling, so I am a faith-based counselor if that's something that my clients, sometimes they come to me and they do want to incorporate that or they've been spiritually abused or come out of a cult environment. Other times we don't touch the spiritual at all because they're here for other reasons. But when we mix that spiritual abuse into all of this, it becomes real difficult to see what is up and what is down. And that's where we have to really get to some good grounding techniques of God expects us to show good fruit, not shift responsibility onto other people. 
That's my belief. Oh my gosh, Shannon. I know that we have some time constraints. It hadn't even popped in my head until this very moment, but I remember years ago speaking at a church and I did the first talk and it went really well and the people were really pumped up. And then before my second talk, the pastor pulled me to the side and asked me, could I leave out some of the things that I said in the first one? Mm. And come to find out they had basically been spiritually abusing the congregation not a few people, the congregation as a whole. And I'm talking just your ordinary everyday neighborhood church. But when I realized that the pastor was exploiting the people and keeping them financially oppressed in a way because they were on a lot of public assistance, which they donated to the church. Wow. Yes, I do cover that in the book. I think it's Babette's story that she shared a lot about how a church was demanding in a very spiritual kind of cloak that they tithe over paying their rent, over paying their utilities. And if they didn't, they were going to come under God's wrath. Their lives were going to be cursed, that they were backslidden. I mean, you throw that spiritual component in, in addition to the financial piece, whether it's church leaders or pastors, or it's a spouse who's throwing that in. And those are some really heavy chains that we have to get off. And we can, we can lift those off with the truth, but that's a tough season. For sure, while those lies are rattling around. So as we conclude, what are the first steps to healing from abuse? Someone's listening and they hear themselves in this conversation and they believe that they're a victim currently. What's the first step to protecting and then rebuilding? Yeah, I think the very first step is finding one person that they can trust to talk to. And it has to be someone who's not going to flip it around on them and say, well, why didn't you notice these things sooner? We don't want that. We want someone who can say, okay, you have come to an awareness that something's not healthy. How do we move forward now? So I think finding a trusted confidant is very, very important. Sometimes that is a friend. Sometimes that's a therapist. Sometimes that's a very experienced life coach. But just being able to tell somebody that we trust that's not going to blame that things are not going well in my life and I need to talk about it. And then the next step is really making sure, how do we make sure that we're safe? How do we, as we start to kind of pull back the cloak of what might be happening, how are we physically, emotionally, spiritually safe? And once we have those things in place, then we can start to get a plan of how to move forward in a very specific direction that's for our life, because every situation is a little bit different. In my first book, Healing from Hidden Abuse, I walk survivors through the six stages of recovery from abuse. And so the first stage is despair. We just get to that place of realizing something's not right. And that is a starting point right there. And then we move on to educating, and then we move on to awareness, into boundaries, into restoration, into maintenance. So there is a process that survivors go through. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I'll make sure that we also link to your first book as well, because I'm sure it'll be a great resource for many of those listening. Um, Well, financial abuse is part of the hidden abuse spectrum. So it falls within that model of recovery. And it is one of those abuses that's hidden that we just don't talk about even more than some of the other hidden abuses. So Shannon, what I do now at the end of every guest episode is ask a few what we call redefining wealth rapid wisdom questions. And so I'm going to ask these and just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. How do you define success? I define success by doing work that I enjoy during the day that leaves me with a feeling of peace and accomplishment and then spending time with my family at the end of the day. Love it. Peace is one of our favorite words here. (laughs) How do you define wealth in three words or less? I should have prepped for this test. completely winging it. I remember at the end of your other podcast, you asked this, but I didn't register that you would ask me. Okay. Ask that one more time. So three words. So how do you define wealth in three words or less? Wealth, a satisfying life. That was perfect. Okay. Satisfying (laughs) life. I love it. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? That's a very, very good question. Let me look at my shelf here. I really like The Compound Effect. It's a book about the small things continue to build 
And I think that wealth can also look like that. However, we define wealth, that it's in the small details on top of one another building. I don't think we live in mountaintop experiences at all. I think we live in those daily moments that are so great. And I think it's the compound effect of all of them together. I love that. Yes. It's not- if we're looking for mountaintop experiences, I'm sorry I interrupted you. We're going to be disappointed. No. Yeah. We're going to be real disappointed. If we're just looking for every mountain as opposed to just those, those shiny moments every day, that can keep us going along. And I think the Compound Effect book talks about that model. Yeah, I'll have to link to that too. That's good, Shannon. Okay, fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is... Oh, my name is Shannon, and the truth about wealth is it comes in many different forms that we wouldn't expect. Yes, it does, which is why we are here at Redefining Wealth. Absolutely. <laughs> all yes, all those different forms. Shannon, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Your research and your work and your contribution is just incredible. Thank you. And thank you again for talking about this. It is a new topic. It really is. And I think that we're finding our path here, and I'm excited that we're doing it together. I am as well. And we'll have to find more ways to talk about this in different ways because we definitely have to spread the awareness. Agreed. agree. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Didn't I tell you that Shannon would be phenomenal? I know that there is a lot in this episode to unpack. I know that as you were listening, you were thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I hear myself in these scenarios. And what we got a chance to talk about on this episode was maybe a third of what I really wanted to get into. I'm probably going to share more Purpose Chasers with you guys. These scenarios were everyday things that we just don't realize are not normal. They're not healthy. They're not okay. And every day, many of us are being abused financially at the hands of people who say they love us. And some of them mean it maliciously and manipulatively. They are really seeking to do this. And other people are just unaware of how unproductive this type of behavior is. And so either way it goes, if you believe that you are in this circumstance, then I really invite you to reach out to Shannon, especially follow her on Instagram. She always has great nuggets, but also just seek out help and get some support in this area. You're not the first, you're not the last, you're not alone. And if I can tell you anything from my own experience, kind of flushing this stuff out, don't feel like a fool for experiencing some of these things or allowing some of it to go on a bit longer than either one of us would have liked for you, right? You cannot feel like a fool. The best thing that you can do now is take an assessment of where you are today and figure out what the way forward is going to be for you. But you do have the right and you have a choice to take a stand and figure out what that next best step is for you. If you would like to join me in reading the books that I interview people about on the podcast, we have recently launched what is called Patrice's Pod Club. And that means that you will be privy to some of the books that I am reading well before the interviews actually come out because you'll be reading alongside me in Patrice's Pod Club and even helping me unpack the best questions to ask on the podcast. So if you want more information about that, as well as just how to be a supporter of the Redefining Wealth podcast and join our community of Purpose Chasers, I invite you to go over to IamAPurposeChaser.com. That's IamAPurposeChaser.com. Take a look around, look at the rewards, look at all the things you get when you sign up. And I would love to see you there. You are going to be joining a community of people who are growing with me. And that means that together we are on a mission to live our life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> 
Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.